Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with Rudy Abbott Bowl. Rudy is the VP of Digital and E-Commerce at AMG Medical, and he is also the founder of Human After All, a digital consultancy. For many years, Rudy has been bringing B2B e-commerce to legacy industries and businesses and helping them to update for the digital age. We had a fantastic conversation about how brands can introduce B2B e-commerce successfully into their businesses as a successful sales channel. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I think you will too. Welcome to B2B Commerce Corner. Commerce Corner is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast discussing all things B2B commerce through the lens of agencies, consultants, merchants, and more. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is my great pleasure to welcome Rudy Abbott-Bull from both AM Medical as well as Human After All. Welcome, Rudy. Thank you. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Jason, for welcoming me. Sorry. It's my pleasure to have you along for the ride today, May. And we met for the very first time in person this past October at B2B Online Florida, where I was announcing some of the track speakers on the day you were speaking at the event. I had never met you in person before, only knew of you from online. And it was such a pleasure to meet you because all my mates from the B2B industry seem to converge on one place at one time. We were able to sit down. We were able to break bread together. We were able to have a couple of beers together. I was able to hear you speak and talk about your B2B experience. And man, you've been doing this B2B thing for a very long time, but you've got other You've got other e-commerce experiences from building and founding agencies to consultancies and working for brands. And wow, you're, if I look back across your history, e-commerce is in your blood. But how did you, like at the very beginning, what drew you to e-commerce in the first place? It's funny because prior to starting in, in e-commerce, I was really working as the webmaster guy. I remember in the beginning of 2000, it was the trending word, and it was more like a build that website and everything. So when I started, I went in computer science, thinking that's how you program a website, but that's absolutely not that. And I did a small program and then went into business school in Montreal. While doing that, because I wasn't born in Canada, so I had to start paying my bills. So I started really programming and doing website at the time. And it was extremely interesting. I was building a small website then went on and started working in traditional agency where you were doing websites for campaigns. So at the time, everyone has an ID, then there's a small website, but it was the side job. And so basically when I, when I was, before starting e-commerce, I was working with agencies and on, at the time it was more like you do a campaign or a small website and just a bunch of content and you're the side priority of everything. And w I've spent so many times working for at the time, dairy farmers, things like that. And you worked hours on building a website. Then they tell you, okay, you can close the website. We're done with the campaign. So I'm like, I wanted something that is in the long term, building a journey. And I was very curious about e-commerce. And the first e-commerce website that I built was for the store next to my place where they were selling baby stuff. And he said, oh yeah, I do need an e-commerce website. So I started figuring things out and I uh, thought you had to create each page. And it was anyway, it was an interesting journey from there. It was with a platform called OS Commerce for those who remember. That's and, my uh, first, that was my first major e-commerce platform yeah. I worked with was OS Commerce in, yeah. ag in agency land. It was one of my very first, first, in fact, 
my first online business was built on OS Commerce. And we had a programmer, we had a web developer build our site and our platform on OS Commerce. So I'm very familiar with that. Man, does that bring back memories? Exactly. And, and then at the time, I started like that and building a, a bit of website. And one day, I spoke to an agency and the agency was like, we're building those websites in e-commerce and in Python and never making money and all. And I said, I'm like, but there's a platform just came out. It's called Magento and I'm sure it's amazing. Why don't you use that? And he's like, oh yeah, I didn't know Magento. And I'm like, of course, I'm going to fake it till I make it. I said, absolutely. I know Magento. And I started working for that agency and become the VP production for that agency. So driving all the clients at the time. And we delivered some amazing website with Magento. But the tough thing at the time is in Canada, no one knew Magento. So we're trying to find programmers all the time. And since then, never left e-commerce. I did. I started my own agency in 2013, just building e-commerce website, the introduction of Shopify, and then really trying to do social media combined with e-commerce. So that started in 2012. And my agency got Acquired by a French group in 2018, and from there on, I discovered a new ballgame, right? You, you're creating, I'm used to create a website for retailers, but what happens if your client is selling in multiple countries and you have to figure out the SEO for 11 different countries at the same time, and you have a huge major luxury brands telling you, we have 20 brands, 10 of them can go on SAP, but you need to figure out a platform for the 10 other ones. And that's how we became one of the first agency at the time certified with Shopify plus just because we needed something that fits this kind of model. And when the company was acquired in, in 2017 by the whole group was acquired by Accenture, this is where I'm like, okay, maybe I've done the tour of the agency world. Let's try the client side because we always complain about clients. But we complain because we don't know their day-to-day -day most of the time when you're in agency. And when you're in the client side, I, I get some of the frustration they had. That's one thing for sure. And you get also why they will use an agency. And once you get that angle, when you arrive on the client side where I started working with a company called Lumen, which was part of a larger group called Sonepa, and that group is $32 billion globally around the world. And Lumen is really one of the leader in electrical product distribution. And you discover a whole logic that has nothing to do. You have salespeople, you have clients that each of them have different pricing. You have expectation that are completely different because all your clients are have a different expectation. You have the small electrician to the biggest firm of development that have, that are expecting you to connect to their system because that's what they want and they're buying 10 millions from you and you need to deliver that. And it's not just about the e-commerce website anymore. It's about EDI, it's about punch out, it's about all those different tools. So you join a brand new digital ecosystem where product information, there's no is key, where the purchase are no longer emotional. Your client is probably every day when he comes to the office, he's opening your website because his job is to compare pricing and all. And you're like, okay, so yeah, you have to take things seriously when building the website in terms of content, for example. So there's a whole different thing. And that was something that I don't want to leave. And I'm in love with this 
just working with those different scenarios in B2B, rebuilding ecosystem, but also working on change management, right? You have those companies that are making millions of dollars and suddenly they're like, we're doing fine, but you have new competitors that are popping out of nowhere. I mean, in Canada or in the US, you have Amazon B2B now that arrives and you don't even know what to do with it. And so what was funny was that, go ahead. No, no, sorry. You, you carry on. There was a little bit of a, a, just a split second lag there. And I was just, my, my commentary was just going to be, and I'll let you carry on with your story, was that basically in 2018, as I identify it, you went through a complete and radical step change in your career, going from a history of working primarily with B2C and D2C merchants and understanding that world at a very granular level, understanding the digital market marketing aspects of B2C and D2C to where literally your e-commerce world got flipped upside down and you got shifted into the world of B2B e-commerce and a trial by fire scenario where a company that's doing billions of dollars in business is bringing you in to lead their e-commerce efforts and that entire business model from an e-commerce perspective is so radically different than B2C and D2C. Absolutely. And But then again, you know what? At a point, it's good to have those kind of changes because you would say that, oh, B2B is just one more layer, right? I just had to have the plugin. There's a Shopify plugin for B2B. It's going to work fine, guys. It's absolutely not that. It has nothing to do with the, the way that e-commerce is built. Even though you want to deliver an experience that is just as good as the B2C experience. But on the back end, the things are completely working differently. And the expectation of clients, when they visit the website, they might purchase something, but they will go back on your website on the product page just to know how to use exactly that same product that you just sold me. And after that, they you might need to sell them on something else that you didn't think of if you have 350,000 SKUs, your client might buy some 300 SKUs from you. Do they know the other 100 or more thousands of SKUs that you have for them? You need to make sure that this happens. So it's all logic and everything gets into enterprise level, right? We can, with retailers, we could figure it out a bit with Shopify, add a few apps and all. With, with B2B, it, w- it was a bit different because you're working with very large ERPs and uh, old IT team and trying to figure out, listen, if I cannot connect via, via an API because you know, because there's no API available, okay, let me figure out if I can convert an EDI into an API and do something similar. I always trying to be very creative internally. And I think you raise a really good point, which is that a business that's a B2C or a D2C business can probably scale to a good 10, 20, 30, maybe even $40 million just running Shopify, some sort of carrier aggregator system that's plugged into Shopify to pull down orders and generate the tracking labels. They can run a manually organized warehouse that's maybe organized by brand or category of product where people can do the manual pick, pack, and dispatch process. They don't even necessarily need a WMS at that stage. They can run a lightweight accounting system like Xero or QuickBooks. They don't necessarily have to have an ERP at that stage. They can, they can oftentimes run their PIM out of spreadsheets for a long time. They don't necessarily need a full-blown heavyweight enterprise-grade PIM at that stage. There's businesses that have built up to a very large scale with Shopify being basically at the core 
of their ecosystem, even if they have physical retail stores using Shopify Pause and the app ecosystem, lightweight integrations, a lot of out-of-the-box integrations with Shopify, even out-of-the-box integrations with 3PL providers and et cetera, they can build a very big business with very lightweight technology that isn't going to break the bank for them. Whereas when you move into the B2B world, even the simplest B2B businesses out there are orders of magnitude more complex than the more complex B2C businesses. That's what I have discovered, and I'm sure that you have discovered the same. Oh, for sure. And there's, and we're trying to be as agile that we were with the B2C, with the B2B. So most of the time when we arrive as a VP e-commerce in a company, the first thing that you do is look at the stack and how it's connecting. And the first thing that you do is that you guess, is there a connector between that ERP and any e-commerce platform at this point where I can ease the work and all? And that's a bit the, the conversation that you need, but there's also the materially that you have some big companies, B2B companies, they have one IT guy that takes care of a bit of everything. And when you ask a question, he's not 100% sure of everything. So you have to discuss with many people until you figure out the exact process. So it's always... A, a full journey of going through workshop, of discovering, of exceptions. You can have, the company can have 10 clients and those 10 clients will act differently, especially for distributors that are working with big, big retailers like Walmart, Costco. It's 100% different. You have to adapt to exactly what Walmart is asking you, what Costco is asking you. And if you think for a second that you're going to differ from anyone else, it's not really working for you, believe me. It's going to be a bit different. It's but it's uh, always discovery, and it's that's if you want to be kept on your toes, that's definitely there. I love that. That's so accurate, and I think the one of the key points that you have brought to the fore here is that in the B two C world, the maturity level of most B two B B two C retailers that are doing e commerce, whether it's pure play e commerce or whether it's omni channel, they are are about, in my experience, about five to ten years more mature from a digital technology and a digital commerce perspective than B two B businesses. Now, what that means is that the opportunity for B two B is ginormous, but the available capabilities in the market to hire from are much more limited. Meaning that. It's it's hard to find that many people in our industry that have a tremendous amount of digital and e-commerce experience combined with deep B2B experience. So what I find is that oftentimes B2B brands, when they want to do e-commerce right, they either have to promote from within uh, when they've got a team of people that know the B2B side of the business inside and out. They have to basically promote from within, turn them into a digital specialist, get them the right training, use outsource e-commerce resources via agencies and training partners to upskill them uh, and to hold their hand through the, the knowledge transfer process to get them up to speed on e-com. Or it has to go the other way around. They'll hire from the market maybe somebody who's really knowledgeable about e-commerce in general, digital, digital marketing, PIM systems, CDPs, point of sale systems, etc. Somebody who's really almost like a CDO level person, but that they, they can bring under their wing and they can teach them all the intricacies of their business and B2B specifically. And then, then they've got the dual level of skill sets required to able to be able to help them execute 
on the B2B commerce opportunity. And it feels like with Lumen and with AMG, they've done that with you. They've effectively brought someone in who had deep experience with e-commerce, but when you first arrived at Lumen, maybe didn't have the deep knowledge of all the complexities of B2B, but upskilled you on the B2B piece so that they could bring digital firepower to their business. Absolutely. And I was lucky when I started at Lumen, the first thing that that I said when I arrived, because I was told, listen, your main KPIs is you need to increase adoption of our platforms. And I'm like, oh, that's super easy. Of course, everyone wants to use the internet and why would they not order online with us? And the president was like, yeah, sure, of course. You're going to tour for three months. I don't want you at the office. I want you to tour every single branches we have. And I want you to go and meet clients. When I came back after those three months, this, I just said, yeah, if we get 10% this year, it's going to be fine. Okay. No more than that, please. Because for each client that I met, their expectations were different. And sometimes they give you a scenario where he, the, the electrician tells me, listen, I'm leaving the job or I'm on my way to the job. When do you want me to be sitting down on a computer and start ordering things for the day after that I don't even know what I need for tomorrow. That's one. The other ones were telling you, listen, we, we have our guy and he's the expert and he's giving us advice and I don't, worry, I, I don't have to remember all your skews by heart. You do that for me, not me. And if I'm, if I, when I'm calling, at least I'm not the one who made the mistake, right? I can always blame someone else. That, and say that straight, but uh, that was pretty much what they meant. We had to rethink how someone orders online. And the way we build it, one of the example is to say, I know you, I know what are your top three products that you're always buy, right? Electrician or plumbers, it's always the same thing, right? They order the same SKUs over and over for basic jobs at home or, uh, and so we created kind of templates Based on the order history, what do you typically order? Just repeat that business with us. And that will cover 50, 60% and convert 50, 60% of your orders in online orders. They said, this I can do. Nice. And then the 40%, the rest, I'm like, we're going to figure it out because you cannot be expecting to convert clients from zero to 100. While on B2C, Having a client that you that never visited one of your branches is perfectly normal, or one of your stores is perfectly normal. But on B2B, there needs to be that in-depth communication. There needs to be that connection where, do you exactly know me? Okay, you cannot be asking for loyalty where you don't even know my business. So you have to be very close to people. And that's why specific or very targeted distribution has a long way to live. Amazon will never be able to reach the level of depthness and expertise that Lumen has or any other specialist like AMG Medical or others. Amazon will only be able to grab the surfaces or the typical SKUs for B2B and get that 10% of the market. And that's what they want. They don't want to become expert. They don't want to stock products that where they don't even know how fast they're going to move. They want to store the stock that they know is going to move because it is the typical skews. So that's where the, the game is going to be on, on the next year is how good of a marketplace can the distributor build in order to survive 
and show their value to clients in the next year. That's for sure. So much great knowledge. I'm going to double click on just a couple of things there, and we're going to go a little bit deeper. I think you you called out something that is so mission critical in the B2B space, which is that the personalization or the type of personalization that you do in the B2B world versus the B2C world are radically different. That, that level of personalization, you can't even compare them. In the B2C and D2C world, we're doing personalization based on wisdom of the crowd. We are saying, okay, if somebody clicks on this, if they go to this category, if they add these products to their cart or to their wish list, or they drill down into this product page, we can reasonably assume that if we present to them some of these other products, it is li they're likely to also add those products to their cart, increasing both their initial purchase value, their long-term AOV, and their long-term CLV. And so the reality is that personalization in the B2C world is not as individualistic as it is in the B2B world. In the B2B world, we have a very sticky, very long-term relationship with that customer. The AOVs are through the roof. Their, law, their life, customer lifetime value is through the roof. Also, the quantities that they are buying, just in, in terms of unit quantities, tend to be much higher. So you're selling, you're selling cartons and pallets and containers instead of one-off items and one-skew items or maybe a five-skew basket in the B2C world. Now, that has its own unique challenges from a logistics and order processing perspective, a will call perspective, et cetera. But what it does allow us to do is to more deeply understand our customers because we have a very long-term relationship with them. And oftentimes that relationship was actually born out of a field sales call some years ago. And as a result of that, those field salespeople, they're the ones that build the human relationship with their customers and they want that one-on-one -on -one service. They want that tailored service. They want that the, the sales rep would oftentimes, hey, if a new catalog of, of items that, that was relevant to my customer came out, I would send them a custom cut-down catalog that was really targeted to them, almost like a set of swatches in a store where somebody's remodeling their home. It's tailored to them. And it, what, what oftentimes the thin end of the wedge is exactly what you've alluded to, which is the replenishment ordering. Maybe we don't, maybe we don't, uh, maybe our customers don't go whole hog and, and go online from the very first purchase. But once they have a purchase history and once we have these regular SKUs that, that they routinely buy, then it's a pretty easy ask to get them to move to online ordering at least for those replenishment orders because it saves them so much time. Instead of having to maybe email a CSV to their account manager or their account manager comes out and visits them on site and takes orders either on a literal physical pad or on an iPad on their behalf. And then the, the, we'd have to wait until that sales rep gets back, manually keys the order into the ERP, then it gets fulfilled. So if we can bring convenience to the B2B customer, that is pretty much all you have to do. And we have a very different goal in the B2B world versus the B2C world. In the B2C world, we want them to stay on the site as long as possible. The B2B world, we want them to get in and get out as quick as possible because it's an inconvenience to them the longer they have to stay on the website to complete their purchase. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... There's one stat that I really liked. It's when you study the typical customer journey, which is a buyer in a company, say, that buyer, the last thing that he wants, especially the younger generation, do not want to talk to a sales rep unless it's a new product, something where they have technical question or they actually need more info or a special price. 63% of the, the journey for a customer is done by looking at the website and knowing that, yes, that website is as the right search engine. Key element on your 
investment, just an insight. If you're not putting money on your search engine, you're losing big time. And one of the things that we've done with that I try to do at least at a maximum is to say to the customer is, I know, for example, that in a hospital, you have 10 different departments. Say, you have, believe me, if someone logs in as the buyer for surgery, it's not looking at the same product as the buyer for anyone in the, the children's side, for example, right? Different or radiology or wherever it is, First right? thing that you need to know. And one of the thing is, if you're not customizing, the first thing that he, the client will think is, you don't know me. You didn't make the effort for me. So I'm just going to buy the typical SKUs that I know. And you will never be able to upsell me or tell me that, oh, there's something more that I can buy because my boss told me that those are the SKUs that we order from X distributor. That's number one. And the number two is the more that conversation you can have and the more the expertise of your salesperson you can drive back into the website, the more your salesperson is going to be focusing on what is really meant to, which is bringing the expertise and driving more sales of our customer. And most of the time, I saw too many times a salesperson starting to be on the phone with his inside sell or worst case scenario, typing himself the orders. And I'm like, there's going to be a mistake. What are you doing in front of the computer? Let the customer be able to upgrade from there. And what is magical is the more the customer is using the website, the more insights you're able to get out of the customers, right? And the best example is I was showing today in a presentation, um, HubSpot here. doesn't cost much. It's not the most expensive CRM. But what I like is out of the box, I'm able to plug it and suddenly the salespeople are seeing the customer activities on the website. And if your customer is, is reading about those large cable, as a salesperson, you want to go back to them and say, by the way, do you know that we have a great expertise on sales cable? And why is he reading about sales cable on your website? He's not looking at the product page. He's looking hopefully at an article or a case study that you've written about the, the specific large cable. They're looking for that expertise, not only when they talk to you, but also when they're on your website, that expertise needs to show. It goes back to us, a distributor versus Amazon or manufacturer versus being on Amazon. That's what it should be, at least for the B2B experience. And I think you make a really great point about product searchability and product attributes. And I had Jason Hine on the podcast before, and he made a very good point that I hadn't really thought of in this way before. And he said to me, Jason, when a consumer goes to a consumer-grade website or to Amazon or to a fashion website or whatever, the reality is if they see a coffee mug, if they see a dress, if they see a T-shirt, if they see whatever – they know what those products are. They know what those products are for their from their real life experience, right? They know what that is. They don't need to they don't need to wonder is this a coffee mug? When they see a coffee mug, they know it's a coffee mug, right? Jason Hine was on my podcast and he raised a very good point that I had never heard put quite this way before, which is when you were talking about site search and when you were talking about the complexity of products and you have to have a very good site search experience. Jason said one of the reasons why that is even more important in the B2B world than the B2C world is 
When a B2C buyer goes to a B2C website and they see a coffee mug or they see a t-shirt or they see a tennis shoe or they see, they see whatever it is that they're going to see, almost everything they see on a B2C website, they have experienced in their day-to-day life. They've seen it in a home. They've seen it out in public. They've interacted with a coffee cup before, so they know what that is, right? And maybe it only comes down to the color or the design or whatever it is when they buy the coffee mug. When you are a B2B buyer, what matters to you is so much more complex that there's literally no comparison. If I'm going to a B2B website and I'm buying a pump, for example, I'm going to want to know what the inlet size is, the outlet size is, the flow rate, the head. I'm going to, there's all these specifics around the attributes of that product that will define whether this product is suitable for me and my use case. And and that doesn't exist in the B2C world. And so therefore, the range and depth of attributes that you have to have against your products for the B2B buyer, even to be able to make that purchase and, and give them confidence that they're making the right purchase, plus even being able to identify that product on your website in the first place, there is so much more complexity to that that there's literally no comparison with B2C. Absolutely. And and I always talked and, and mentioned about attributes, right? Have you defined consistently your attributes throughout the website? And the main thing that you need to keep in your head is the B2B client comes to you with a problem, not with an envy, not with anything. It comes to you with a problem. What you need to give them is a solution not sell your, 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 how great your company is and the fact that you've been there for 10 years. Do you know enough about heaters or anything like that? Do you have the expertise? Yes. Can you fit exactly that with 120 amperes? Please do not quote me on anything technical, but can you fit that specific product exactly how it is? And most of the time, the problem is they expect people to think that, oh, but they'll figure it out on their own. No, they don't know. They don't know the name of your product. It's not because you called it extra one, two, three, that it's obvious for everyone. You're not that popular, okay? So just remember, you're online. People are visiting 10 websites at the same time. So many times I, I was at clients and all clients were opening the or website, but also the three other competitors' websites. So keep in mind that they have to check many things at the same time and try to order because tomorrow morning there's people on the field, they're paid 80 bucks an hour. You better have the, the material that they need for them because we're losing money if not. And at that time, the search engine, having the, sometimes we even do guided uh, search, right? By saying, what kind of products? Did you want the 12 one? Did you want the 10 one? And from there on, you start recommending those products. And I think most of the time when someone wants to replatform, the first thing that I say is let's build a great search engine completely. And because obviously we're gonna, probably going to go headless, let's grab a good search engine that we're going to implement on your current platform while we build your upcoming one. And just with the search engine, we're going to start refining and be able to optimize at the maximum for the upcoming platform, a great search experience based on the data that we have. And this most of the time is one of the key things that I ask whenever I want to integrate the search engine. So either it's Algolia or Bloomridge, both excellent solutions. It's, can you play with synonyms? You go internally and you ask your salespeople, how do your clients are calling this? And just to tell you, I'm in Canada, in Quebec, 
And in Quebec, we speak in English. The rest of Canada speaks English. Can you imagine dealing with the search engine? And if you go within the Quebec area, the same product, which is a heater for an electrical heater, will be named three, three different ways. If you don't have those insights from your salespeople and you integrate those insights within your search engine, you'll be surprised how much you can drive and how much value you will bring to the customer because the customer says, oh my God, he gets me. They have my products. So remember always, you're always looking for the solution for the customer. And there is enough tool today in the market that are flexible enough that you can be controlling. So never look for the too fancy solution. And what I like with the solution like Bluebridge or Argolia is that anyone in the company, or at least the content specialist or image trendizer can go and add that synonym on his own within 10 minutes. There you go. We resync and we're done. We have the solution right away. And that's the flexibility you want to bring inside if you want to drive adoption. The more you implement tools where salespeople, they're always very impatient and your clients are also very impatient. What you want to be doing is having those kind of solutions right away. It impress everyone. Oh, you're not finding the product. Give me 10 minutes. And in 20 minutes, visit the website. Your product is going to be there. And that's how you're going to get them to convert it because they know that you understand them. Hey team, I have a big favor to ask you. Please pause this episode and send the link of this episode to someone you know that you think would enjoy this content. Really appreciate you spreading the word. This is how we grow. We're not a Joe Rogan. We don't have big, massive advertising budgets, but we absolutely want to grow. We want to get the learnings from all of these episodes out to as wide of an audience as possible, and we need your help to do it. Thank you, and now back to your listening. And you make a very good point, which is that site search for B2B is very different. You cannot use the exact same tools in the B2B world that are common in the B2C and D2C world because they don't speak the language of B2B. And I'll give you just a couple of common examples that I'm sure you've run across. Different price lists based on authentication, making sure we're showing the right price to the right customer once they're in and they do a site search. Two, managing restricted catalogs, okay? Not every B2B customer has access to all the same products usually on a website. They've got a subset of the catalog that they usually have access to, and they don't necessarily have access to every SKU in the catalog. We have to think about things like displaying customer-specific MOQs, customer-specific incremental buying requirements, customer-specific quote request requirements, and quote uh, processing requirements. And if the site search platform does not understand those nuances and complexities of the B2B world to where you can supply them a supplemental data feed with all that additional data so that they can make sure and do the right things on the front end. Because what I've seen is sometimes if you try to adapt and mold a B2C solution into the B2B world, for example, for search, maybe once someone hits enter after doing a search, maybe the search results page are properly filtered for their products and their prices, but sometimes the autocomplete dropdown and the auto-suggest dropdown is not. It shows the default price uh, for that product. It shows everything in the catalog and the dropdown. So there are so many tiny little subtleties in the B2B journey that have to be respected that, man, if you don't know what those subtleties are so that you can test those experiences end-to-end in the UAT process before you release it to the customer, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And it's an excellent point, Jason, but even worse, 
the pressure, imagine you have the pressure of obviously your client, which is already big enough. You have the pressure if you're a distributor of all your manufacturers that you're distributing. One time we launch a product, a new search engine, and that search engine, what do your distributor will do right away? Test their own products. And because you're their manufacturers, number one, if my products doesn't come number one, what are we together? Suddenly the whole crisis in the company goes into one thing is, did you infuse the DNA of the company? Did you infuse the value, the partnership of your company inside your digital experience? Do not look at the website as just an extension, as an optional, hey, it will be good to have a 5% extra of sales. No. This is your key salesperson in the company that knows everything that is supposed to do everything. So imagine the, the type of pressure on the quality of search. And that's why most of the time I'm like, you have people dedicated in purchase and dealing with manufacturers. You should have someone dedicated in finding those same products, especially when you have 300,000 SKUs. But believe me, even if you have a thousand SKU, make sure that you have quality results. And make sure that the results that you have, that you obtain, integrate into a good user experience when they check out. And most of the time, that's why I'm in big favor of using those SaaS solution uh, as a commerce platform, is that you want to keep for the client, you want to bring that intelligence of the search engine, but also the quality of the checkout of B2C experience, right? I want to be able to check out right away. I want you to recognize who I am. I want you to give me this, the, all the address of all my stores that you have and exactly that I want to ship that to that specific stores today because they're low in inventory. And I want you to give me all my payment methods that I've been approved for. And I want to be able to see my credit limit at checkout. And I want to be able to see, I want to be able to say everything at checkout and anything that's associated with loyalty or tiered spend or any, I want to be able to see all of that throughout my experience so that I feel like you actually care about me, you know me, and you're treating me just as good online as I would get treated if I was sitting in front of my, my dedicated account manager slash sales rep that was assigned to my account. I want to get treated as individually and especially online as in person. And we keep mentioning e-commerce platform. What anyone joining the B2B industry or whoever is in the B2B industry, consider one thing. Your clients are not necessarily in front of the web. They're in front of their ERP or a Coupa solution or similar solution where they need to order. Can you integrate within the, the solution? And ideally, you want to have a punch out, which is a, a middle ground between your e-commerce experience and the ERP experience where the customer is in front of his ERP, clicks a button, and suddenly you have a pop-up of the website with the website of your distributor. And you want to be able to allow the customer to navigate on the website, pick his product. And the moment that he checks out, instead of doing the regular checkout, it's going to push the order directly inside the client ERP. And what's amazing in doing that is that instead of having customers that know our SKUs by heart and always order the same SKU, I'm able to take them into my own website, be able to uh, cross-sell, present new products. And at the same time, I get a client that that is happy because he gained a lot of time because he didn't have to type all his order manually. And at this point, you're able to 
for example, create specific lists for that customer when he logs in his punch out, be able to only see the products that he keeps ordering all the time. And sometimes you can even create custom. So for example, this is the list of products for that specific department. This is the list for uh, my truck that is always on the road and is able to add this and order even more faster. The conversion there is not only you have a happier client overall that is going to keep ordering, but you're going to get a client that will never leave you and build loyalty, not because you systematically give him back money or more rebates, but because for him dealing with you is easier on my day to day. And the more you step up on that experience, the tougher it is, especially now we're in a B2B market where not everyone is really advanced or mature. It's the perfect moment for your company to distinguish itself by really bringing a specific experience that is fully integrated in the day-to-day -day of your customers. And I think this is a great segue into the another key difference between B2B commerce and B2B digital commerce, I should say, and B2C digital commerce, which is in the B2C world, there really is only one form of digital commerce, and that's e-commerce, right? Maybe it's click and collect. Maybe there's some different channels that you serve people through, but the reality is that there's really only just e-commerce, right? They can go to your website. They can add products to their cart. They can check out and buy. I think what you, when, you, when you're talking about that, especially about the punch-out experience, it raises a very good scenario where we can compare yet again B2C with B2B, which is that in the B2C world, really we've only got one form of digital commerce. We have got a website. We've got an e-commerce website. Somebody can log in. They can add products to their cart. They can check out, okay, maybe they can do click and collect. Maybe they can do ship from store, whatever it is. But the reality is we've got one interface for e-commerce, which is the traditional e-commerce website. Maybe we access it through a tablet or a phone, but it's an e-commerce experience. It's a website experience. In the B2B world, we have three primary, separate, and distinct models of digital commerce that oftentimes we need to offer to our customers in order to win their business. The very biggest of B2B customers will require EDI. Basically, we won't transact with you unless you offer an EDI arrangement whereby basically through an API connection or some form of automated connection of sharing data, electronic data interchange, a standard language of allowing one computer system to talk to another computer system, our procurement system and our ERP can generate the PO. It can send it directly via EDI into your ERP for fulfillment, job done, right? So I think your discussion around punch out leads to a very interesting place where we can make another comparison or another distinction between the B2C e-commerce experience and the B2B e-commerce experience. And that is that in the B2C world, we only have one mode or one channel to engage with a customer for digital commerce. That is the e-commerce website, right? Regardless of whether they access the website through a phone or through a laptop or through a tablet, whether they choose click and collect, whether they choose ship from store, whatever it is, they're interfacing with us digitally through an e-commerce website. And that's the, the channel. That's the e-commerce channel. And in the B2B world, digital commerce typically takes three different forms. It will take the form of EDI, it will take the form of punch out, or it will take the form of self-service e-commerce through, through an e-commerce website. Now, delivering on these three modes or models of digital commerce, that is a pretty complex ask, especially for a, a small to medium-sized B2B enterprise. But if they want to win in the digital marketplace for B2B commerce, they oftentimes will need to develop those three channels distinctly and independently over time. 
So their biggest buyers, their biggest whale customers that are their B2B buyers, they're going to require EDI. They're going to require a scenario where they can generate a PO in their own ERP via EDI connectivity to your ERP. The order gets sent to you, and you fulfill it directly, effectively, ERP to ERP with no human intervention apart from them needing to generate a PO. Then we have the punch-out scenario, which you referred to. And punch-out normally works really well in a scenario where they've got a procurement system that can sync other suppliers' data and catalog via that punch-out protocol. So that way, when the procurement manager has to go in and make their orders, they can sync your catalog down in real time. They effectively can generate the PO in their system. They can sync the requirements, uh, usually via automated upload. If they know what the SKUs they want to buy are, and they're available via your e-commerce system via punch-out, then they can automatically load that into the cart effectively. Uh, from there in, the, their, their procurement system generates a cart adds that cart contents to your punch-out system and then executes the transaction automatically from there. And then we have the self-service yeah. e-commerce play for everybody in, in between. Everybody who wants to manually self-service themselves through your catalog and search, manually add products to the cart or maybe do a CSV upload through your shopping cart. That's that third engagement model for digital commerce. And I think that is such a big distinction in the B2B world versus the B2C world that if you don't have any experience with EDI, if you don't have any experience with Punch-Out, you're going to really struggle to build out successful digital commerce channels in large B2B businesses until you wrap your head around that. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? There's another one that is upcoming and more and more used for the B2B is the mobile because you have people that are on the go and sometimes they are buying a bit differently. An example, if someone managing a warehouse is in the warehouse and not sitting down in front of a computer. And the first thing that he's going to see is his min-max on each of the row and say, oh, yeah, I'm dropping here. And the first thing that you want to do is be allow the customer to print a sticker. And on that sticker, there's the barcode that he can scan with, the mo with his mobile using your own application that is never going to move from your company because you just did that small part with them. And so we've covered the mobile and that's just one layer more to have. The first thing that, that you need to look into your ERP system is, okay, do I have a structured, documented way to connect to all those different systems? EDI, for example, everyone will tell you, EDI has been there for 20 years, is the most stable thing that you can get. It's true. But everyone has small differences in their EDI. Make sure you document yours correctly. Are you able to do 850? Great. How do you do an 850? Document me. Show the example for the client that wants to connect. You're going to reduce the adoption of the client because it's going to say, okay, at least they're prepared. Second part is you want to be able to connect with each ERP. You know who does ERP connection extremely well? Amazon. You click, you have your B2B account, and in one form, they tell you which RP or a procurement management system do you have? Yes, I have Coupa. Okay, just give me the following, follow those following instruction. In case you don't understand what I'm saying, here's the email that you want to send to your IT team. That's how you need to think. So that is why considering an iPass, when you start implementing your new digital ecosystem or your existing ecosystem will allow you to at least centralize the communication to your ERP in one way, 
and from there say, okay, I can connect to my ERP, push orders, get orders, get confirmation, etc. And at least I'm able to connect in one way with my ERP in the same in the same approach. But you need to define all of those and document all of those. You'd be surprised the quality of someone like Amazon or big ecosystem or the same way that we've done it at Sonic Bar was the fact that because it's documented just from the get-go, the salesperson was giving the link, hey, you want to connect? I don't understand much about IT, but I know that this is the documentation you're requiring right now, and we're going to go that way. And you'll be surprised how clients appreciate it because between the salesperson and the buyer, the last thing that they want to talk about is talking to IT and dealing exactly with a lot of questions. And this raises the last point that I'd love to talk to you about because we're coming to the end of our time together, and I really appreciate your time with me so far. And that is that a lot of the brands that I work with, the B2B brands that either are implementing e-commerce for the very first time or maybe they're replatforming and they're trying to seriously level up their e-commerce game because their customers are demanding it, one of the first things I ask them in discovery is, have you started to put together a platform adoption plan and what that looks like? Before we even get through discovery, before we even get through the platform selection, before we even get through scoping, the build, uh, the launch, have you started to think about both an internal and an external adoption plan? Meaning, do we know we're going to reach resistance with our sales team because they feel feel like it's a threat? Okay, we need to form and put together an adoption plan for our internal team so that we incentivize them to bring their customers on the long, along on the digital journey because we know we're going to need them to go and sit side by side with the customer and, and maybe do the first three orders with them online to get them to adopt the e-commerce website or the e-commerce functions of the website. We know we're going to need their buy-in. Otherwise, they can basically sabotage this project from day one. Do we know which of our customers are very likely to adopt a digital platform if we offer it? Or do we know which customers will probably hit a lot of resistance with and why? And should we question them about the types of functionality we should build from day one to encourage their adoption and make it valuable to them? I think adoption planning has to start before you even start scoping a project. That's my sense. And that's the kind of conversations I'm trying to have with B2B merchants because if you want to have high ROI of this massive investment that you are going to make, you better start thinking about adoption before you get the thing built. Oh, it's the toughest thing. That's a great point. And how are you going to measure it? And the key KPIs that you want to have is basic one that you want to report on is online order versus global orders. How much does it represent? If your company is below 30, 40%, you are late in the B2B game. That's a guarantee right there. The second part is, yes, you are able to measure the adoption rate. Then you want to know what is exactly limiting your clients in ordering. That's when you're going to start talking about EDI or a punch out or different options because a client that is typical ordering on EDI, it's, a, it's going to be tough for him to switch to another platform. It's perfectly normal. Then you're going to have the other part is, how well are they buying? What is the penetration rate that you're getting? Is your customer buying exactly what he was buying offline, online? And what is exactly the difference on, in his process? Why is he, is it because he's not finding the, the product? Is it because he doesn't have the right price? Or is it because that specific product requires, for, for example, an online configuration tool in order to be able to order that product online? 
So little things that you need to look at. And one advice also is look at your stats in knowing your customer, that some of your customers, they don't have a big ERP platform or it's nothing special, but your biggest customer, which ERP are they using on a day-to-day basis? You're going to be able to regroup all your customer in different groups. This one is using Coupa. This one is using X. Okay. Is my system ready for uh, this specific ERP? Yes. Then let me just target those clients for now so that I know that they've adopted the ERP. And let me track exactly what is the adoption rate for that specific ERP. Now, that ERP, it does not connect with extremely well and all. You know what? Grab the phone. Do not call the client at this point. Call the ERP directly. You're a big guy. Call the ERP and say, can we do something on working on an integration? You'd be surprised that if you have 10 clients that are actually using this ERP, you're going to tell them I have 10 clients of yours. And by the way, from there on, you're going to be able to promote the fact that you connect with us directly. You're already a different, you have a differentiator in the market. Now, if we go back into measuring all of that, there's one, I used to look at the adoption a lot. Now I'm looking also at other KPIs, which are how many, if a client logs in, that means it's a client of ours, it's established. How many products does he add in the cart exactly? And you'd be surprised to know that some clients are just visiting. They're logging in, just visiting. Why are they only visiting? What products do they have? And let's say that they added products in the cart. Are they the same one they're used to order usually? And those products actually convert. Follow up with your first adopter of client and you'll be surprised on how much mistake can you find on your website. Sometimes... Oh, I didn't find the color. It's the blue. You name it, light blue on your thing. I thought it was a different product. Little things like that that people are used of. And sometimes your client will refer to the old SKU that disappeared a long time ago, but they still have it in their head. Look at the search login logs, sorry, and look at exactly what they're searching at. And you'll be surprised that you'll see a lot of differentiators. But just with having a clear live reporting of your adoption rate, by type of customers, you're already in a big win to identify exactly what's going on. So you can you can do it, for example, for big to small clients, type of clients and different channels, because each channel will adopt the solution differently. And the most important is do not start trying to tackle everything and have a magic one that I'm thinking that there's a magic trick to have the solution that fits everyone. It's going to be different solution that fits everyone, but start with a great connection to your ERP through an iPass and you'll get the adoption coming from there. Couldn't agree more. And just for the benefit of anyone who doesn't know what that word means, iPass integration platform as a service, basically a middleware tool that acts as the traffic cop between data, both between your internal systems and external systems. And that can automate a whole lot of headaches instead of having to build integrations bespoke and from scratch every single time. Now, Rudy, as we thank you so much for for all of your wisdom. It's been been a great chat so far. As we come down to the end of our time together, I like to flip the script and hand the microphone over to my guest. Let them ask me one question, any question they'd like. It could be personal or professional. So, Rudy Abbott-Bowl from AMG Medical and Human After All, what is your question for me today? That's a good question to ask me for a question. And I will say today, like with your global knowledge, 
and you've talked to so many different aspects so far and so many different guests. What do you think, how will AI affect today a market like the B2B? And more specifically, how will it transform those e-commerce experts that you talk on uh, uh, on your podcast with on your podcast? How will it differ from you once you have an interview in five years? How do you think they'll do their day-to-day -day life? Man, what a fantastic question. That's great. I've never been asked this specifically before. It's hard to predict because AI is moving pretty bloody fast. And in some instances, the promise is it's over-promising and under-delivering. In some cases, it's under-promising and over-delivering. And I continue to be wowed with certain aspects of AI every day. And then other times I use tools and I go, wow, this is very underwhelming. And I think, why do we even need AI for this? But I think, especially as a content creator and producer and editor, some of the AI tools that are out there now are so bloody good. It's, it's getting scarily good. I, I think that at least as far as I can tell today, most brands will continue to consume AI as a service through the software that they implement. For example, if it's site search or whatever it might be, the site search companies are already bringing in, are bringing in large language models. They're bringing in AI in many different ways into their site search algorithms and what they're doing. And what I think that's going to serve to do is help brands also fix the challenge of data before it ever hits digital channels. And by that, what I mean is, a significant part of what I do in my consulting work is help with data engineering. I help brands to re-engineer their data sets, to help cleanse their data sets, help, us, help them standardize their data sets, help them standardize their attributes and attribute groups, help them standardize their hierarchy of products and catalog and, and categories, help them bring consistency to that and help them bring consistency to their customer data models, their customer data attribute models, help them bring consistency to their pricing models and price lists and everything. And I think that AI is going, to, and, and there's a lot of manual work that goes into that by brands, helping them standardize that stuff and effectively cleanse that stuff. Some of it can be done programmatically, but there's still a lot of heavy lifting in spreadsheets. and I think AI is going to help that process and streamline that process massively, meaning I could take maybe a set of spreadsheets. I could upload them into, say, I don't know, ChatGPT, and I could say, this is our current data set. This is what we want the output data set to look like. These are the new columns. This is how we want the data reorganized. This is how we want the attributes organized. Just literally speak to the software. It'll do the work on the spreadsheet and then spit out an updated spreadsheet where it's exactly how we want it to be instead of having to run some massive calculation or pivot table or something across the spreadsheet. It will just do it and it will spit it out in the way that we want it and need it. I think the second thing is, again, with search, I think semantic search with large language models, it's going to get better and better. And I think we're going to probably get to a place where site search is more verbal. We're going to be able to have a conversation with the site search engine, similar to how we have conversations with chatbots today. That's going to be built into the search experience. So we can have a conversation like we were speaking with that sales rep and asking them questions about the products and we're getting answers and we're getting product recommendations. We're going to be able to do that via the site search interface so that we have a very very similar experience asking questions of the catalog like we would with a human being. Those are probably the two biggest areas I see being impacted within the next two to five years. Absolutely. And I will add, it's a great answer because it's everything that the, the biggest pain point, right? We're having, it's about the product data information and all, but there's also the expertise that we have internally and the basic questions that are answered over and over by our customer support. 
The fact that you create a ticket, you're actually building a database for me. And if I can use all the tickets that we've answered in the last five years, because we're just implemented and regroup this into an AI tool where I'm able to converse and get those very specific answer about the products, we have already a huge gain on the day-to-day of the customer. And for the B2C, Google is working on that, right? It's a bit adding conversation into recommending products based on the AI tools that they're actually building through BARD. That's going to be where it's interesting because the whole game is going to change because this will affect B2C. But the conversation that we're, we're going to have when looking for products is also going to go through conversation chat. What are you going to do exactly there? How are you going to position your product? And the only thing that Google or any AI tool is going to look for is how well have you structured your data and your knowledge in one place so that they can say, this is the right company I need to look at. So stop looking at SKUs or how much inventory do I have? Am I covering uh, the month and everything? Start looking into the data that comes behind it. That will be the, the conclusion, I will think. I couldn't agree more, and in fact, you hear you heard it here fo- first, folks. I believe that just as we have seen search merchandising and personalization become algamated and a lot of M and A activity in that space over the last few years, we're going to see many site search platforms also buy customer service and help desk platforms and bring those two data sets together for a better site search and response experience. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head, and in fact. You hear it, you've heard it here, folks. I'm calling it right now, just as we have seen, I think, search, merchandising, and personalization platforms go through a merging over the last few years. I think we're going to see a lot of site search platforms amalgamating with doing some M&A activity with help desk and live chat platforms because they will need not just a product data feed anymore for good site search. They're going to need that rich history of chat experience in their algorithms to be able to give the same type of experience a human would be able to provide. Rudy, I've absolutely enjoyed our time together. I'll put links to your LinkedIn profile and to your website in the show notes. Other than that, how do you like people to find you and get a hold of you? Oh, please follow me on LinkedIn. Let's continue the conversation on LinkedIn. It's crazy. Yesterday, I was writing an article about Google SG on how it's going to impact search And I'm always the guy who has a newsletter that is about B2B e-commerce. So please, let's continue the conversation there, right there on LinkedIn. And I'm always up to a great conversation, but it was a pleasure to see you. Hopefully, Jason, I know that I'm seeing you at the B2B Chicago. I'm very excited also. So let's meet live also in Chicago. I'm going to be one of the speakers for the event. I really love Ryan is doing a big shout out to Ryan because he's doing an amazing job with the B2B events. So Really looking forward to seeing you all. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.